You will sleep better than you have ever slept. You've never been this relaxed. Are you ready to change your life? I'm Rusty Diamond, certified hypnotist. You don't need to leave your house. You can stay in your bed. You can stay in your favorite chair. You just need a computer or your phone. You can get a hold of me. Stay at home. I'll make your life better. Hypnosisisgrade.com It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. Yo. Miss Rusty, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast, public access podcast here on the Quantum. <laughs> yeah, right. Here on the Rusty Diamond Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rusty Diamond. Welcome, everyone. Here you got cattail in here. If you want, you guys want some cattail? I got some cattail. Got Leon over here. Leon, you got Leon's butt. So that's nice. So welcome everyone. There's a little shake for him getting off the table. So yeah, or whatever you call this desk. This is a desk. So thank you everyone for being here and listening or watching wherever you want. If you guys like don't want to watch me, you can go on to anywhere you listen to podcasts and just hear my voice. If you want to like, what's the guy look like? Go on to YouTube or Rumble. See the show there, the Public Access Podcast. And let's bring on a special guest right here, right now. Because my special guest is right here, right now. And my special guest is Benedict Howard. And there he is. Hey, hey man. Rusty, this is great to be here today. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you very much for being here. Uh, happy to... <laughs> have you on and get to get to meet you and that's kind of what happens here that's the best i can it's always uh difficult to explain the pitch to people for the show or a lot of things that i do it's usually it's like i, I guess you just have to see it and experience it to get it just uh give me the <laughs> mic it'll be okay and it's always fun telling promoters that um some go along with it some aren't aren't too quick to just give me a mic and say go. So that's why I have a podcast also. So I can control that. But how is your day going so far? Well, so far it's so good. It's uh, just turning eight o'clock here in Hawaii. And actually it's a little nippy this morning, albeit Hawaii nippy. <laughs> yeah, Hawaii nippy, which is... <laughs> You know, everyone just up, you know, I was like, oh, okay. I got up earlier around quarter to five and it was like, oh, I think I'm going to just go lie down for a bit. And of course, I fell asleep. <laughs> and um, here we are. It's, um, yeah, let's see. 
we've had some really bad weather here the last week and you know we missed all of the hurricane season this year which was really good wow. and um yeah and that was like because we can get torrential downpours here for like multiple multiple inches in in a night or in a day um uh, sometimes you can get like over like three or four days you know 50 inches and um <laughs> it's a lot of rain and everything's just like washing down and um but hawaii has been a real special place to me and and i want to get to that in a moment and it's like i've been doing a lot of high altitude hiking so you know oh, if you're hi. into fitness yeah if you're into exercise and fitness and and stuff we can dive deep into the um into the mental stuff that I've, that I've been wrestling with, as it were, when I've been going up there on these long solo hikes. Um, but let me back up. Maybe I should back up and tell your listeners who I am, what I'm doing, and why am I here, and where are we hey. going? <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Um, you know, I always begin talking about this and I have trouble talking about it. And each time I talk about it, I have to take a breath. And uh, that is that when I came in, when I was born or when I was, you know, a young, young boy, I could see things and hear things that I thought everybody else could see and hear. And um, that was really, it was until I was like in my teens, late teens that I realized or early teens that I realized that people weren't seeing and weren't not hearing what I was seeing and hearing, you know, as a clairaudient and a clairvoyant. And um, also I came in, I was brought up on a farm. So on a farm, you're always fixing stuff, right? Broken this, broken fence, broken tractors, broken this, you know, broken horses, legs, whatever it is, you're always fixing one thing or another. And, um, and I think that was really uh, helpful for me to see how, you know, that stuff was put together. And um, I remember one day when my dad had the, we had a tractor, Massey Ferguson tractor, and he was putting new, no, new rings in it, new bearings in it. And I came home from school and I looked at all of the parts that were laying out on the ground there. And it was like, oh my God, look at that thing. And there's like, I'd never seen the inside of an engine at that age. And, um, and I, I became intrigued as to how it worked and what it was doing and, you know, how everything fit together. And that led to me looking, well, actually, it was a really, I was a really good horseman. And um, they wanted me to become a jockey, but I grew too big. <laughs> and um, But I had that sense of I could be at one with other animals or plants or even humans, but less so with humans until more recently. And um and then um and then that took me into rallying actually. I, I became a rally driver when I was at university taking mining engineering. I'd originally wanted to be a doctor, but I saw there were like a lot of falsehoods in the medical profession that didn't jive with me. And so I went into engineering instead. It's like, you know, pretty basic. It's all nuts and bolts and uh, sort of stuff like, like I was really um, interested in looking at. At the same time, I was very, very interested in biology. And by the time I was 14, I was reading Scientific American, everything I could pull off the shelves in the library. And I was ordering books off the, uh, I guess, how, how do you get books back then? Out of the bookstore, right? <laughs> and um, 
And that gave me a lot of um, reading material that really helped to substantiate my keen awareness of the metaphysical, of that stuff that lies beyond the normal sight and seeing and feeling and touchy-feely stuff that we normally communicate for, think that we live in. And, uh, and I spent weeks in the library every night after school, looking at, or every evening after school, looking at all of the metaphysical books that I could find, P. Manley Hall, there were books on this, that, and the other. And I was like really intrigued by the uh, was being published and what I saw happening. You know, there was a big difference. There was a big disconnect. And the more I read on P. Manley Hall stuff and the ancient Egyptian, et cetera, et cetera, it seemed to me like it was a very manipulative, dark way that, that those energies were being used. And I was still looking and looking and looking for seeking for, for other realities, but the engineering took over, the rallying took over. Um, I got a number of cups in the club rallying that I was doing. And then it was like, okay, I need out of England. I go, did I say I grew up in England? I was born in London <laughs> and I grew up in England on a little farm. And um, so that took me to working with, well, the, through the engineering, and that took me into working in the mines. I emigrated to Canada when I was 22, 23. So we're talking like uh, 1973. So I've been around a long time. You know, I'm in my 70s right now, super fit. As I said, I hike the, high, the, the Hawaiian manas here, they, and I'm writing a book about that, actually, high altitude or high attitude hiking. The, high, the Hawaiian manas, Mauna Loa and Mauna Kea, both of which go up to um, 13,000, basically 800 feet. And um, so there's lots of snow up there in the winter. I love going up there in the snow. I put, take crampons and I go up in snowstorms if I can get past the, um, <laughs> past the rangers. <laughs> and um, they don't like me going up there. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's, it's been a really adventure up there, but let me fill in the details before that adventure. When I came to, I was working for General Electric as a develop, development engineer, designing new products, taking them to the market, testing them in the field, um, in the mining industry, particularly up in Canada. And uh, they have a very wide array of things they have produced. It's a very mm -hmm. vast market, uh, a lot of different markets they're into, General Electric. Right. And specifically, um, we were in the mining or making mining tools for the for the mining industry. And um, so I became actually I went into most mines, uh, most of the hard rock mines in Canada in that testing phases from time to time. And that led me to really realize that I sure didn't want to work with this big corporate scene anymore. It's like we're bigging, we're digging bigger holes in mother earth and we're blowing her up and uh, we have no respect for it we have tailing dams that are polluting and it was just like not my cup of tea it didn't seem to me the way, the way that i wanted to spend my life destroying the planet and um but it was very secure you know it's very cushy you know it was very long hours because i was doing i was working i was a, you know i grew up on a farm so i'm a hard worker right and right. um and so it was very long hours, and uh, in 83, I kept on getting the message, quit. 
what do you mean quit? This is like my whole life. It's been, yeah, I, I, my whole plan of my life is like to make some money, get a little bungalow somewhere, have two, 2.1 kids or whatever it is. And, uh, the statistics and then, um, and then live happily ever after till I retire. And I didn't really have a vision beyond that. However, the universe had a powerful vision for me. What happened was my wife then, she was an artist and she was working down in one of the galleries. And um, from time to time, they had these African drummers that came in there. And I was sitting there waiting to pick her waiting for her to finish work. And I was listening to these drummers and I was, it, it touched my heartstrings so powerfully. There were tears rolling down my face, which as a Brit wasn't easy to do. <laughs> Stiff upper lip and all of that bad stuff. And, um, and there were tears rolling down my face and it was like, I have to connect with this. So I went up to the master drummer after they finished and, he, and they said, is this somewhere I can learn this? And he pointed at this guy, Pete, go talk to Pete over there. And I went to talk to Pete over there and he said, oh my God, yeah, well, we have a small little troop of us that are always practicing. So when the master drummers come in, we've got some drummers that can play with them. <laughs> and uh, so that led me down that, Ghani's pattern, which is based around a 12-beat pattern. And uh, we did a lot of, well, every twice a week, I think we met, uh, had a small studio that they could come to and we drummed our hearts out. But what was so interesting about that, when I looked at it from, when I looked at it from my metaphysical and engineering perspective, there was, um, there were patterns in that Ghani's pattern that each drum holds a specific pattern. And then the master drummer talks over top of it. And there's a bell that's really ringing out and it's just doing the main beat, but it's all syncopated. And the drums talk between one another and the bell. And what was so interesting was that there were certain part, there were certain drum patterns that were easier for some people to learn than others. And some people, like I, I took to the bell and um and I didn't know why, but it's really the heart of that drum circle. And and then when I started to play some of the other drums and learn those different patterns, I was okay at some of them, but some of them I just couldn't get. My body would tense up. It was just like so it was breaking down the blocks within myself. And um and that was like a huge opening of well, getting back to that, let's call it spiritual connection, which is not, it's just there, right? Um, but we kind of like call it spirit, but it's so, we're so intimately, intimately connected to that. And I really want to share with, um, with your podcast, with your listeners here, you, you, the stuff that I, the, the path that this took to and the sound healing part was a big beginning. And in a 1987, oh, I went to, uh, I forgot. <laughs> I traveled in 83, 84, I traveled through 15 countries in Africa camping and staying with different tribes. Uh, the Tuareg in the Sahel to the pygmies, the Aturi pygmies in the rainforest in Congo. And uh, so it, in each of those, look, well, in all of the locations, when we were away from the cities, 
then you came into a tiny little village in the middle of nowhere after you'd been driving for days and days through sand. The kids had come up to the back of the truck and they would have big smiling faces and don't want cadeau, give me a gift, don't want cadeau. And, um, but it was so different to the way that I saw children in the West. Well, in when I grew up or in Canada, and uh, it was so different. They were like vibrant and alive and happy and just having fun. They're making toys out of pieces of wire that they put together and, you know, just like so creative. It wasn't stuff that they bought off the shelf. It wasn't stuff, you know, it wasn't a Lego kit. It was, right. you know, it was like stuff that they made out of new branches or pieces of wire or found objects and they put these toys together and you could see it in their faces they, they were like so creative and very um very influenced by the western culture um going through the congo for instance there were like cartoon um i can't remember the specific styling but it was there were cartoon-like characters that they would paint on the walls. It was like that influence was coming in through, who knows, National Ge Geographic, different places that, that, you know, different stuff that they saw. And um, when I came out at the other end in Kenya, <clears throat> well, I'd gone through the Serengeti um, game parks. I'd seen these amazing, amazing miles and miles of animals migrating. And uh, I mean, just miles of solid animals, you know, like 100 wide, you know, 50 wide, but miles of them migrating through the Serengeti. And, um, you know, it gave me a completely different picture as to what was naturally abundant in the universe compared to, you know, living in the in the concrete jungle <laughs> versus the the jungle in the Congo with the Turi pygmies or later on in, in um, Rwanda with the, um, with the silverback gorillas. Um, you know, it's like they're in that jungle and they're looking at you and you're going like, mm. and you're going like, I come from this concrete jungle and here they are, you know, living like phenomenally happy, you know, content in this amazing, amazing jungle. And um, so it just was life changing as you can imagine. Right. So I came back to Canada and I was like in shell shock. I mean, culture shock, but it was like almost shell shock. It was like such a cultural, what the heck am I doing here now? How do what, I am I <laughs> what am I going to do with my life now? You know, yeah. <laughs> all of my previous reality was like put on, put on its head. You know, it's like, okay, everything's upside down. And sure, that's where the world's really turned out. Right. right. <laughs> and, uh, and so in nine, so what I did when I got back from Africa, I did a lot of inner personal development work, um, uh, past life stuff, crystal energetics, um, you know, working with crystals, aromas, um, homeopathic stuff, tinctures. And um, so I became really, con it really got me back in touch with the boy that could see things. And um, so I retrained myself to see auras. I retrained myself to hear stuff, um, retrained myself to really connect with my dreams again. Um, I've been a lucid dreamer. And actually, that's what really helped me with General Electric was like I could go into the lucid dream, ask the questions about the design issues that we were having. And the next morning, go back to the drawing board and then 
take it down to the shop and have it made up sort of a thing. Uh, and um, that that's that way of um, creating is 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 phenomenally um uh, it, it it requires that you really surrender, you know, um, and you really get very specific with the questions that you want to ask or you want to know about and get very specific and detailed, kind of like working with AI now. You know, you create a prompt in AI and you've got to be very specific and you can fine tune that prompt. And each time that AI, AI comes back with a more um, detailed response to your very now, now very evolving detailed question. And um, maybe we can get into AI a little later um, because I've been working with that for a long time, uh, four or five years now. And, um, you know, right in the early days. And uh, so when the, um, so back, so I came back, got more in touch with that side of myself, went into real estate, development real estate, bought a bunch of buildings, renovated them, leased them out. And then by the time I was like 88, no, 86, 87, I had like a million something on the books. And and I looked at that and I went like, oh, shoot. If it's one million now, it could be 10 million in a few, in a few, well, in a year or two or five. It could be 100 million in, in a decade. It could be, you know, a whole bunch of money, as it were. And I was like, no, I don't want to be a slave to that system. And uh, I need to be the, I need to be more like that free kid in Africa, right? Yeah. Uh, running down the street with a little car that he's made out of wire, you know, <laughs> and he's like pushing it down and he's like running down the street, you know, it's like childlike. And um, so I, I came through the analysis. Um, I mean, that inner work, that inner personal development work. Um, I, I realized, I, I, oh yeah, I came back across a book when I came back up out of Africa on crystals. And, um, Actually, it literally fell on my foot off the shelf in a bookstore. And it was like, oh, how do I work that down? I didn't touch it. It just popped out onto my foot and fell on that down onto my foot. I went like, picked it up, bought it, of course. And uh, actually, it was very interesting. And it was uh, written by a Dr. Randall Bear, who was basically starting, in, starting that consciousness into crystal work. And um, he was on the major tours in the U.S. back in the 80s. And um, it ended up that I took over his research and his academy in 1987, 88. And in why it was so intriguing to me, and it was like a big jump start for me, is that he had already created what we called unified energy fields. Basically, they were sacred or geometric call them sacred geometry, but geometric patterns or geometric structures that worked as antennas into the ether, into the substance that's around us. And so you could really quickly um, amplify that connection and use it for research purposes, all sorts of things. And, um, and then I went like, oh, now we need to work on another aspect to that, which was, and which I came across as synchronicities would have line up things in your life. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I came across the work of another ex-NSA 
um, guy who was working with geometry and sound. And he had these environments, these geometric sound environments with, um, <clears throat> with uh, biofeedback that measured the energy field around us. So they were actually early, um, not artificial intelligence, but they were learning crystals that were in the substrate that measured the energy field around the person. And that gave signals to a digital signal processor that we used to very subaudibly um, give that biofeedback to the individual. So it wasn't in terms of like the normal way where you have a biofeedback system where you it's a cognitive thing. This was more, I forget what the term is right now, but um, it's more um, just that awareness state that the sound is now being changed, a little echo in it, but you can't hear it, or a little, um, you know, just a little shift. And um, I took over, I took, I got one of his units on spec and then toured with that for, I think two years, and actually I had been touring with other geometric structures, watching what was happening on people's energy fields as they sat inside these different geometries. And I think it's all fuzzed out in here, and I should have left it clear, but behind me is actually the sound environment that's uh, called a dream weaver. And it is, <laughs> it's basically a musical massage, right? So the engineer in me was intrigued by, after we started to do hundreds and then later thousands of sessions, I was intrigued by how comes that we're getting all of these different effects with the same piece of music with different people in there. And um, that led me to really sort of uh, drill deep into, okay, I need to be asking questions going into the session and coming out of the session to try and analyze if there's any data that can be gleaned out of it. And um, so, like I said, after hundreds and then later on thousands of sessions, I started to graph out some of the results. And it was like, oh, there is a thing that we can look at. There are graphs and data that we can look at that makes sense. And I can talk about it and train other facilitators. And um, so I built units and trained the facilitators, um, mostly up and down the east and east coast of the US. Um, then it spread out to the, the central US and then a little bit into the California side and then Hawaii and then into Asia and then also over into Europe. And um, but essentially what, what happened is that some of those facilitators were, <laughs> talk about marketing for a moment, you know, and maybe you've done this too, you know, you go onto Facebook and you've set up your marketing program and uh, your, your advertising program, and uh, you, 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 you hope that you're going to bring in some people for you for your lead magnet, right? <laughs> right. And of course, it's like you're fine tuning stuff, you're fine tuning stuff, you're learning from the results, and uh, eventually you get something that works. Or if you're really lucky, it works off the bat, but it does take work and, um, and, and experimentation. But what was happening with the people that were attracted to the work I was doing with the sacred geometry sound environment, the musical massage environment, the Dreamweaver, is that they were seeing me in their dreams, right? <laughs> and so there was like this connection that was happening in another space. And then they were coming to the workshop or they were coming to the expo that I was set up in. And it was like, oh, there he is. And we get talking and it was like, oh, my God. 
And some of those facilitators now are still working with their units. What is it? 30 years later, whatever it is, right? It's been a long time. And um, I built them well. They never broke. <laughs> and um, and so what I want to share a little bit with, with the audience here, because I know a lot of people are into sort of alternative healing. And um, and what was and, and the effect of sound on the body is really intricate and really interesting. And it's very different to what most sound healers are being taught. And uh, the fact is that, you know, when you're playing music, you get a, you get sequences of frequencies. And coupled with that, like with the African drumming, you're getting sequences of rhythms as well. So if it's a bass line, you've got the rhythmic pattern that's talking between the drum or to the drum and, um, you know, in a normal drum set setup. And um, and the bass pattern's there, but what's also happening as you lie on the on the bed, you're feeling that bass line move up and down the bed because the patterns like you've got behind you, they are set in different positions and the different frequencies work on different positions up and down the body, which is deeply relaxing. Um, when I was in Albuquerque, there were some um, long-term Tibetan monks that came in um, for session work. And what was happening for them, even though I was playing rock and roll <laughs> to them, yeah. they would go into this deep meditative state that would take them more than an hour to get to normally in like 10 minutes. And so it really, um, so in that deeply relaxed state, you could do a lot of personal development work for people because you could really uh, um, use NLP, you could use all different stuff. I was you know, I used a lot of NLP because it's really powerful imagery that you can use to unravel and reassociate events that have happened in a person's life prior. Especially and, at that relaxation level that you're talking about, like you're going to be most open. I mean, yeah, like it's it's the best best case scenario, like hypnosis and and stuff. Uh, I was going to ask you a question. You ever dining with a sensory deprivation tanks like a float tank have you ever yeah. dining with that yes so have you ever thought about integrating that into it because i so what i did i took because when they when they want you to come out of the float tank they go and they put in some uh like a, a music sort of like at an award show like they put it little thing on to get you to you know hurry up and you know get off the stage you got like you know you're taking up too much time that's kind of how they get you out of it and so i was like well if they have audio going in there why couldn't i put a hypnosis of myself doing like a relaxation or something at the beginning play that at the beginning if it's going to be able to take sound in there anyway and have every other you know sound blocked out except for that and then all the light blocked out and then you're in this you know, this tank with 98.6 degree water with 50 pounds of Epsom salt in it. Right. What Would that be something that you could integrate into um, your healing to extrapolate uh, and expand the power of what you're doing already? Or if you hit a wall of the top power you can make out of it by compounding um, okay. Okay, sensory um, those sensory tanks are basically sensory deprivation. 
So it's absolutely it's the opposite of what we're doing. We're doing sensory um, intensification. Um, and uh, yeah, Michael and I, the guy from NSA that really turned me on to the um, to the biofeedback system that we were using in his unit, um, he was he was one of those whiz kids, you know, just like aced at school by the time he was eight, you know, you know, just really really bright bright kid. And uh, in the right parental environment that could really nurture that person or that growing kid. And um, we talked a lot about the sensory deprivation. Um, and uh, he was of the opinion that, and this is why he created these, this system that he did, was that the, with the sensory deprivation, what you're doing is you're isolating. It's an isolation tank, right? Right. And um, you're isolating it. Now, the difference, the major difference in this is that the different frequencies when they're felt through the body in an intense environment, like I'm talking about with a musical massage, let's call it uh, cymatic, vibroacoustics are uh, uh, two other words. Um, in fact, the, the, the transducers that we use in the bed were used in NAS by NASA. They were originally developed by NASA for simulating space, um, their, what do they call it, training, the training, whatever you call them, where they line, they learn to control the things, but they use the vibrations in the whole thing to get that whole taking off in a rocket sort of experience for, for, yeah. for astronauts. Um, I'm going to give you some of the math, and then we can maybe discuss this a little bit more. But the, the, the thing... The things that we noticed in the in the musical massage environment is that where there are blocks in the body, that sound will um, move to those positions, and you will feel that sound sort of moving into that knot or into that joint or into that sort of thing. Right, and it'll you'll feel it building up and building up, and then suddenly it will release. And then there's a change of state, there's a deep breath, and the individual just like relax into another zone. Now, what's happening in the body, and this is where, where it gets really intriguing, and nobody has ever talked about this stuff other than myself and that I know of. It's certainly not the Jonathan Goldman's, it's not any of the sound healing guys. Um, what happens is that when the sound goes into the body, it speeds up and slows down. Let me uh, back up a little bit going forward to when I got into Hawaii and um, I was lucid dreaming with a whale for three nights in a row. And right at that time, they had started to test the low frequency active sonar on the whales in Hawaii and they were killing the whales. Nobody had the model as to why that sound was actually killing them or how it was. So this experience that I had back in the 80s and early 90s, I got to Hawaii in 97 or 98, um, is that as the music or as that sound wave hits the different tissues, it's slowing up and uh, it's speeding up and slowing down. It's speeding up in the bones really quick, right? And then it's when it hits the soft tissue around it, it's slowing down and slowing down. 
So what you're getting is this compression, relaxation, compression, relaxation, compression, relaxation response going through the body's tissues. So that's one aspect of it. Now, recent, and this will be new to you, and I can assure this is new to everybody that's listening. The bones are broadband semiconductors. In other words, when you put a sound wave or you exercise, the bones are being compressed a tiny little bit when you put that weight on the bone. You go for a run, you lift a weight, or you're just walking around. It's got a tiny bit of compression. And every time you have that bit of compression or relaxation, there's a corresponding EMF, electromagnetic force associated with it. You're not gonna get this in a sensory deprivation tank, there's no way. And, um, and what happens is that EMF is made of two components. They are always locked together, these two components. And one is, of course, the electrical component and the other is the magnetic field around it. So what's happening is that every time you, your bone gets compressed, the electrical component and the magnetic component is altering the liquids in the body. So water that was not structured becomes structured water just by exercising. And when you're exercising, if you're lifting weights, for instance, some people, they will come to a grinding point where they, their bones and their joints are like really hurting, right? And right. that's because they don't have that electrical charge in the body that's able to um, produce enough structured water. Now, structured water has a different property than normal water. It's called, well, one way it's called is the fourth phase of water. So it's not ice, it's not steam, or, and it's not liquid water. It's a fourth phase, and it's more gelatinous. It's more like a gel. And it's that gel that actually lubricates the joints. And, uh, and it acts as a cushion be um, between the joints when we're exercising. So now we got this electrical component, and I'm sort of segueing in it, but it's all tied with sound. And then later on, I'm going to discuss my 20 years of just working with the electrical component. So I got basically 20 years, uh, late, late 80s through to like 2000, I was working predominantly in the sound field, uh, creating the environments, training people and learning. And then in... And so it's like this compression thing that happens in the body. So I have, I don't have them right in front of me, but I have books where every session, somebody would come out of the session and they would write down their experience. And often when I was doing demonstrations, all that we needed to do was put the person in there for five minutes. And that was enough to take them into a completely altered state. Now, in these altered states, we can then invite specific events to happen. The person is really aware, very present. And so it's not the kind of like that deprivation aspect. It's a very aware, alert, present aspect and of our consciousness. And so we can really reframe a lot of stuff that's happening for people. The other thing that will spontaneously happen in there 
Because you go in with the back pain, lumbar pain, whatever it is, that sound will, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a breakwater with waves slapping against it, right? And it's hitting it, and then eventually that breakwater breaks down, right? So that tension that was around that muscle group that's holding the bones in the wrong position <laughs> is now being realigned. And so back to the electromagnetic forces created by the sound, that is what's actually loosening not only the tissues, I mean, not only the bones and getting them all shaken up, but it's allowing also the tissues to realign and re regroup. And um, so you can get the you know pain stuff. The other thing is that you can really connect them with other realms. And so, you know, in terms of like working with people who are grieving the loss of a loved one, you can connect them with that loved one that they will feel them sitting right next to them. And they can get that connection, that resolution. Or um, there's another aspect. Oh, yeah. People that have had near-death experiences liken that experience in the Dreamweaver to that near-death experience. And um, so what we're doing here is we're expanding our awareness and making that awareness reach into the other realms, the ether around us, and um, the etheric. And the shape behind me, the dodecahedron, is actually the geometry of ether. And so it's a very specific antenna to the etheric, and that's why I chose to work with that shape. And um, so now we've got this electrical component, and we've got this vibrational component we've got this magnetic component that are all being stimulated in the body so segue i went to london in oh 2001 i think it was early early 2001 um to start marketing the units in in england and when i got there with my family and and uh, my young boy sterling gabam that all fell apart. I was totally broke, had no resources, nothing. And here I am in London. Well, somehow things just happened. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, you get humbled and you're down on your knees almost, you know, you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And uh, well, you just got to calm down, Ben. Just sit down, <laughs> relax, take a deep breath, <laughs> change your state. And, um, Lo and behold, uh, within a month, I had a place that was on just off King's Road. Now, the King's Road goes right to the palace and connects all the way down to Winchester and into the Stonehenge. So we've got these energy lines all over the planet, right? And that's what I was also engineering. It was a grid engineering. all that. But the energy lines, I was right on that energy line. And I set up the Dreamweaver with the with the dodecahedron there. And I uh, uh, had lots of clients. It was very, very popular. And um, and it was something new. I was on TV there a couple of times before, you know, huge audiences, 8 million people or something, and um, live. And those experiences all gave me, you know, the little steps that I needed to take for this young boy who was kind of like, shy um 
you know, he was a good thinker. He was a good researcher. He had a few friends, but he was more like into his own stuff. And he knew he was different, but didn't want to be different. I just wanted to be normal, you know. <laughs> he didn't want to stand out. But there was, you know, all of those sort of inner issues that we all deal with at one level or another. And um, so when I went to London, it was like I was on on this ley line, they call them, this energy line, which are gridded all over the planet. And it was a very important phase for that alignment of the energies in England. And so basically I was orchestrating some of that connection back into the into the into the energy lines, which are highly, highly um, well, actually even more so now have been like um, denatured, I guess you would call it, but um, destroyed. Yeah, destroyed by, you know, cell towers, by electromagnetic stuff. Just, just these energies we're talking about are so frigging subtle, you know? Um, the energies that we're talking about um, are so subtle that it's kind of weird what they can do. There were some Germans that were working with, um, uh, and I'm going to give an example here, but it's microcurrent, which is just tiny tingles, tiny tingles. And they were able to regress trout genetically, just with tiny little electrical signals, back to trout that was in Europe back in the 1500s. So what you're doing is you're connecting into that bigger space around us and re-engineering, in this case, through the quote DNA, which is uh, it's accepted as being the thing, but it's not. <laughs> More on that in the book. But it's like when, so the you can regress these uh, life forms back to previous life forms that were only seen in paintings of those fish back in the day but have disappeared since then. So this is how subtle these energies work. And they, so that took me to London, and then I was in a pub with some friends and uh, introduced to a couple who had been in Russia quite a bit, and they had been studying with the microcurrent biofeedback systems that the Russians had developed in the early 80s, went to clinical trials in the mid 80s, on 18,255 people went through that, those clinical trials. All the major disease groups, all the major components of the body, they got an average of 80.5% cure rates just with AA batteries in these units. So how fast does that get shut down and then people end up uh, accidentally shooting themselves in the back of the head six times? Right. And... So, yeah, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't work, right? <laughs> I right. wasn't done like that. What's that story yeah. about? So, what happened with that? Those people is that they were allowed to move forward, but only with you know big farmer guys on their board, uh, right? Right. So it was high. It's been hiding in plain sight, and um. The units are super cheap. They're very easy to use. And this is where we're going to segue from the sound wave healing that we've been talking about into the electrical healing component. 
So now these looks, these do I, look... I have a quick question. So have you what about light? Uh, there's I, I had a guy on who does a thing with scalar light. Is that something? What would that do? Or do you know anything about that at all? Oh yeah. Like... Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been using light and color since the 80s. And um, yeah, definitely. I have, if you've seen uh, John Ott's book on light and um, all of the different color gels that they were using back in the 30s before he got shut down, um, 1930s, um, he had different slides, um, different projector glass, stained glass that we were using in projectors for sages, but he used those different colors for all sorts of diseases, um, all sorts of stuff. This is this is very old technology, um, but basically, let's you know you could start with sunlight, right? right? If you study what sunlight does on the body and the eyeballs and and the retina at the back and all of the hormones that are produced and all the synthesis that happens of the um, the the vibration of those um, molecules of the ar aromatic hydrocarbons. And the way that they combined, and you know, the low red lights in the morning, and the little, or the red light in the morning, and the orange red light in the morning, and the orange red light in the morning, in the evening, turning on and turning off the production of melatonin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, all the skin stuff that happens. Yeah, light is hugely important, right? Do you, and, do you look uh, at the sun? Yes. Do you look? Yeah. Do you wear sunglasses? Never. Okay. Yeah. Never. That's, that, that's uh, I don't know. That's just something that's sort of now coming barely back. Like people are, you know, saying, "Look at the sun." Like saying, "Don't look at the sun." Like when the sun has all those benefits of, you know, the sun being like the sun is a big thing, and uh, yeah, oh, not yeah, just hey, closing your eyes or putting on these glasses that, uh, you know. Don't let any of that in or very little of it in and yeah, don't look at it, you'll go blind or you know, stuff like that. Um, so you're not a you don't subscribe to that uh method of thinking. Okay, I, I, I actually I lied. I do wear sunglasses. When I'm up in the snow, up okay. there, I you know, sure. I'm up at 13k, um, you know, very high. Yeah. I will I will take sunglasses with me. I don't always wear them, but I do if I'm up there for several hours. Um, but you know, what happens is that the eyes actually acclimatize to it and um, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, let's get back to the electrical component because these units, I'm going to hold one up here. These units, are, it's not focusing, is it? Let me pull it away. These units have electrodes on the back and there's about, an eighth of an inch gap between the, the plus and the minus on those electrodes. So previously we were talking about antenna systems. We were talking about the dodecahedron as being an antenna. Now, if you look at normal, say tens units, right? And I'm sure you're familiar with those, right? Yep. You put the, you stick the pads on, right? At different locations around the muscle groups, right? Yeah. But they're usually separated by quite some distance. And the reason for that is that the, the electrical signal is going down into the tissue, traversing through low down into the tissue, and then back out to the other electrode. Now, this design is very different. This design, basically, the wavelength is that 
well, it's a little more than an eighth of an inch. It's more like three sixteenths. But it basically goes in about, where is it? About that deep, right? The same as the width of the electrode spacing. So basically what you're doing there is you're stimulating, when you're touching it onto the skin, you're stimulating the skin to activate and then into the nervous system and then into the blood, cap blood capillaries underneath. Now, what they also did with the biofeedback component on these is that you can literally diagnose and treat, right? So you can find areas in the body that are low on voltage and then bring them up to spec. What the Russians did was they, they analyzed down the whole spine and they take readings down the spine all the way as blocks going down the spine. Gabam, gabam, another reading, another reading, all the way down. And what happens is that through little twists in the spine or slight misalignment of the vertebra, the nerves on one side will get crunched a little bit. And of course, that will lead to a you know, huge pain. But even without the pain, what it's doing is it's shutting out, off that nerve electrical signal that's going to the organ underneath. So it's wrapping around, wrapping around right from the spine. So what you're doing is you're literally, you're, you're fine tuning the electrical components within the spine. That's how, they, that's how they deal with all of the major organ issues, right? You're getting that energy back out of the spine, out of the brain, back into the body. And at the end of the session, we do, um, we balance that session out by harmonizing the brain stem, because the brain stem is the major bus between the rest of the body and, uh, and the brain itself. So we harmonize and we balance the brainstem. And I'm and we've done uh, super long studies on that. It's very, very interesting what happens. And um, and you access the brainstem through the trigeminals coming in from the face because they link right back into the brainstem. Also, we do work with um, turning off and on the parasympathetics. Um, all it's all done electrically. I can take somebody with the majorest chronic, I mean horrible whiplash. You can't turn your head, right? In 10 minutes, they'll be going like this and like this, and there'll be tears rolling down their face because the pain isn't there. Then you can take them, okay, where's the pain now? And you just take them a little further, and it's, okay, it's up in here, say. And bam, you just, like, give it a little dose. Oh, and they can move it a little more. So these hiding in plain sight, technologies like the electrical stem that we're talking about, like the biofeedback micro microcurrent, let me say that slowly, microcurrent biofeedback. Um, those, those tools, as I said earlier on, run off AA batteries. They got these hugely successful clinical results back in the 80s, and kabam. Now, it's not nearly as easy as it was back in the 80s and 90s and the early 2000s to get those results. What's happened is that uh, society as a whole has become way less electrically charged, more disconnected from spirit, and it's more difficult to get that. Um, it takes a little longer, right? And yeah, and, how much uh, does like Wi-Fi or 5G towers play into that or other things being shot through the air? Okay, yes. I'll give you an example. Um, 
I at school at high school I was a long distance runner. Then I got asthma, and it happened when I basically broke my back. I fell on a construction site, and it was just nasty. And um, and since then I've well back then and for decades I had major chronic lower back, neck, shoulder, you name it, um, pain. And it was really debilitating to a point where I couldn't run anymore. I had asthma most of the time. And um, I get where I was going with this, but that, oh, yes. So I started uh, probably maybe eight, ten years ago. I started jogging. And to begin with, it was like 100 yards. You know, it was not even 100 yards. And then slowly over the months, I got more and more and into the miles and then and then into multiple miles. And I was every week I would do an eight mile run on Saturdays. And well, it's more like a jog because I never got that strength to do the fast runs that I could as a kid. And um, and but I was getting more worn out. And I was getting way more sensitive to cell phone um issues you know holding the cell phone it would tingle in my hand radically i could feel my energy just like dropping um and to the point where i was becoming hypersensitive to all of that type of um frequency artificial frequency um saturation and which led to me getting um shingles i was bedridden for Three months, it was on effing believable pain. I, you, you can say the F word if you'd like to. Just I, 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 you know, you know what I mean, right? Unbelievable yep. pain, <laughs> and um, you know, you couldn't touch any part of the body. Everything was just like anyway. And at that time, I was so sensitive to the cell phone, I had to hold it on a selfie stick away from me. And yeah, and then I'd pump it, and then I would hold it away from me, right? And um, and if I turned on and I'd turn it off when I wasn't using it, when I turned it on, I would turn it on outside my cabin and then walk inside whilst it be booted up because during that turn on phase, it's really, really active. Now I'm at the phase where my energy is autumn is 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 holding, I don't get anything like that interference. Right. So the sicker we get, the more influenced we are by the 5G, 4G, 3G, whatever. Right. And um, and more sensitive to it. What helped me through it, the big takeaway that I want to say here, um, and people, this is the single most powerful thing that I've done for healing in my life. And old religions talk about it my upbringing never did it and that's fasting and i started to do short term you know intermittent and then some longer term fasting because i've been a lightweight all my life i never put on weight i could eat anything so i fought right and i did and uh consequently i think that was a big feed towards the asthma what it was and for the pain and um and now with the fasting, I've got to a stage where 
okay, I still have pain. What is it in the fasting, the foods that I am eating, even though I've been eating organic all my life, even though I've been taking care of good water and all of that stuff all of my life, I had really neglected to do the deep dive analysis on what's going, the, the stuff that I put in here, the shit that I put in here is really affecting my body. And uh, so I, so I started recently, I started doing this analysis where I measured every, and it takes some discipline, wow. everything that was going in. Maybe you've done it, right? You get out the scale. Okay. How much bread I've got in there? And, the, and I've got, so many grams of this, that, and the other in the bread, and then how much is in the butter, and then all of this stuff, and then I tally it all up, and I kept these, and I, every day <laughs> I write down on a piece of paper exactly what I've been wow. eating, you know? And I yeah. keep it, and then, and then I put it into a spreadsheet. Now, here's one of the things that happens when you go to the doctor, and the doctor has problems analyzing what's going on for you. Uh, not in maybe normal doctor's practice, but, you know, back in the day, <laughs> the um, it was very difficult for them to really analyze what was happening. And the, one of the problems that I was having was that when I ate too many, too much uh, fats, so if I went over 80 grams, 80 grams is good. RDA for me really works. You know, 2000 calories a day really works. Um, some days more, some days less, you know, but yeah. the, what was happening when I ate too much oils is that two days later, the pain would flare up in the sciatica. So it wasn't oh. right, right? So it wasn't really apparent. And it wouldn't be apparent unless you were actually measuring the stuff and doing a detailed analysis on it. So yeah. there was a lag, right? Now I've got to a place where if I keep the oils and the fats down below 80 grams, yeah, I'm good. 100 grams, you know, once in a while. 150, 120 grams once in a while. But not all the time. And um, so that's been really uh, a little segue for, for folks to, to, to really appreciate that um, even though you may be eating really good organic food, maybe even you have the, like we do, we have gardens here where we grow our own food, right? It's, we're very thankful for that and for nature and the way that they, the way that nature provides for us. Yeah. And, um, God, man, <laughs> you know, what a joy it is to be here. And so the electrical stim work, which I was doing back in 2000, I trained with the Russians in the end and then went, came back to, and then had the practice working with that was on TV. And then when like, my heart is not in London, I need to get back to Hawaii. Bam, 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 packed up, put the kids, got, um, anyway, got back to Hawaii. And um, then everything fell apart with my marriage and blah, 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 blah. I went through another 10 years of court stuff with uh, family courts, bullshit. Um, got two boys that are completely alienated to me now, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That's what the family courts have done, right, across the board. And... I take my hat off to any mother or any father that's going through that. It's the most depression, depressing thing um, imaginable. When my, when my ex kidnapped the kids, everything that they'd been playing with in the garden around the cabin that I was living at, I couldn't touch it for another year. I was so 
depressed. I couldn't tidy up the toys. I, I was just like destitute. Oh, and um, that's what it is, right? It's just what it is. And um, yeah. and but you know, it's so frigging cruel. And um, and anyway, etc. 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 That's another conversation. The um, but at the same time, back I back in the late eighties, I'd done a little yoga, right? And it was Iyengar yoga, and they had props and different things, and you could lay on it, and it, I could I could get some little relaxation in my back. Then back when I went to just before I went to England, I left lived in Los Angeles for a year and a bit, and there was an Ashtanga yoga studio, and I started doing Ashtanga yoga, and um, which is a very disciplined, very hardcore yoga practice, and it's the only practice that I have embraced in my life. I was always the inventor. I was always the person that was making new things, right? It was the only system that I really um, acknowledged because I could see from the engineering point of view and the way that they would, um, that those positions, those those asanas are orchestrated through that very long session that you self-learn. It's not with a teacher, you self-learn that practice. So it required that discipline, which I'd never done before. You know, I wasn't a dancer, you know, I wasn't doing, doing different moves on the dance floor or anything like that. It was like completely different to me. Yeah. But that had made a huge difference. So segue now, I know we're kind of like running out of time here and I'd love to go on. Um, it's okay. But we're, we're not. <laughs> yeah. Go, 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 do, go where you go. It's okay. I'm, I'm here. So you're good. Okay, Rusty. Thank you for yeah, this opportunity. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Um, time is time. Conversation is a conversation. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so the electrical stim work, um, I did a lot of experimentation with that on my own body to begin with, um, simply because I had so much pain. I had teeth that were falling out. It used all sorts of stuff that was like falling apart from me, apart, falling apart on me. I think largely because of the uh, that extra exercise that I was doing and eating the wrong fats in that case, you know, too much, too much fats. And, um, and I think it also, the fats may have been compromised because I had, as a kid, I had jaundice. Um, so I don't know if that's a situation or not, but you know, the organs regenerate in a matter of like weeks. So, you know, it's like, duh, duh. <laughs> you know, it's not like I still got that, same liver that I had when I was 18, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, so when, so what we're talking about here is really rejuvenation. You know, when you clean out the body and you go into the autophagy and fasting, you know, you're allowing the body to really clean out of all of the crap, literally. You're changing the biome. And that is where the main seat of our body's influence in terms of fitness comes from is a healthy biome and and you're changing the biome you're nurturing that biome and you're bringing different bacterial kind of recipes i like to look at that as different bacterial recipes into the body and through the different foods and so that's a really powerful way of um you know really activating the colon and all the the, the cilia in the colon and stem cell production that happens at the bottom of the cilia 
You know, there's all sorts of stuff that's happening in the body automatically. And what the Russians did, and with the signal coming out of these units, it's a, uh, quote, pulsed DC. But what they discovered that the nerves, the long C-fiber nerves coming down through the body have a way of, is called epidergic. They release from the nerve fibers different neuropeptide building blocks. They manufactured right in the nerve fiber itself. So it's not that you're getting this food intake for the neuropeptides. It's actually manufactured natively in the body. Right? So when you have that, so when you have that stimulation going, so what they did was this was they they it needed to be microcurrent. That stimulation on the long C fibers, which have very little myelated sheath, so they don't have a, a good um, uh, insulator around it. The um, you get this epidergic effect, and that's what actually causes very quick healing times. In conjunction with that, it's also producing stem cells. Let me give you an example. A friend of mine. We were at his birthday party. His wife had just left him three days before after 25 years with the two kids. He was heartbroken. He was an ex-military brat, and um, and he, you know, he was an aviation guy. He went over, he built this big pile of wood, and he set fire to it, and he was going to have this big bonfire, and we were all partying. And that was back in when I was maybe drinking too heavy. But um, I was doing my Ashtanga yoga, so I was fit. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, he, he went over to the fire. And the next thing I know, what are you doing? He picked up a can of something, and he was pouring whatever the liquid was out of the can. It turned out to be gasoline. The flame, I saw it lick up the spout of the, 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 the flow of gas. It, I saw the flame circle up the thing, he saw it, he threw the can away, and in doing so, the uh, the burning gasoline burnt, I think it was four holes in his skin, third degree burns, and they were like the size of two and three quarters, you know, one, two, three quarters sort of width, that sort of width. I didn't have my units with me back um, then. And I went back to my cabin and I got them and came back. It was, took, takes a while to get around in these woods up here. And um, within 45, 50 minutes, I had his pain shut down. And he slept that night. This, had, to my knowledge, had never been done. I've never seen any papers out of Russia on any of this, right? And right. what I did was I... I stimulated the ulna nerve underneath here and scrambled the signal coming back up the nerve to the brain with the electrical signal. And um, then the miracles began to happen. The next day I saw him, and I have this all on video. It's up on YouTube. The next day his, um, I saw him, and around each, there was no infection at all in any part of this journey. We never used any antiseptic. We never dressed the wounds. 
The next day, it had begun to crust around the outside ring of the of the no no skin stuff of the yep. burn, and within twelve days, catch this, within twelve days, the scabs were off, and you could not see any scarring whatsoever. That's right. yeah, I mean, so then what you end up doing with that information and technology? Okay, good question. So I went down to, I knew some fire people, and I said, hey, guys, look what we did. Uh, look, no, who are you? You're not a doctor. You know, sort of a jobble, right. jobble, jobble. Nah, that's impossible. Here's a guy talking about it. I can bring him down here. He's a local. No, they didn't want to hear. And this is the problem we have is this cognitive dissonance, right? Where we can't, because we're so dumbed down by the indoctrinate, generational indoctrination that we can't see the wood for the trees, right? We can't see, we can't see it. You know, we can't, you know, we're just like, it's out of our, it's impossible. The doctor's been saying that it's impossible forever, right? And uh, I go to, in my on my podcast, I'm interviewing different, very special people um, who have been, exposing the whole germ theory stuff. And um, the data on that is just astounding. But the little segue, just one little piece of it. This one lady, um, uh, Massey is her last name, her first name just escaped me for a moment, but she went to different governments under the Freedom of Information Acts around the planet, asking them for proof that there was isolation um, involved in terms of testing whether there was actually a germ in the culture. None of these governments and none of these institutions would prove that there was isolation done, could prove that there was any isolation done. So that leads to another segue, which we can get into another call, but it, it goes pretty deep. Um, it's pretty sad and it's and it's, you know, it's the same cognitive dissonance thing. I alluded a little earlier on about how things were happening for the Russians in those clinical studies where they actually it was like an average of 2.2 hours of treatment time per person in that 18 and a half thousand people, 18,500 people um, study. Now it's taking a lot longer to get those results. And um and that's what's happened to society. Our bodies, our minds, everything has become so denatured by, as you were talking about, by the 5G, by the food, by the food uh, demons, you know, by the everything that's, you know, everything out there has basically denatured us to a point where we have this disconnect with common sense. We have this idiocracy, idiocracy you know, <laughs> that's happening um, at, at, not only in governmental levels, but local government levels with, you know, the whole hordes of people that are involved in that. And they have become so disconnected from life, like we're talking about sunlight, you know, wearing dark glasses. You know, yeah. I played ukulele and, um, and sing and perform, right? And the class that I go to is a senior's class. Those people that are wearing those sunglasses, 
Their eyes are so sensitive they can't drive at night. Well, guess what? Their eyes and balls have been shut down so much they're not going to be able to get any detail. Then they're not getting any sunlight, and they're fully hooked to the medical system. And it's like, okay, when COVID broke out, I knew about the germ theory myths. I was, I'd read, I'd read Beauchamp and different authors back in the day, and um, and and I was really aware of that. And I went like, oh, I ain't gonna sit down and watch what happens because this is unfolding as an opportunity for some of us to wake up and take our power yeah. back. And the other ones, oh, you know, what do you do? You can't rescue them all as an individual. Right. And then you get up in, in terms of like these cognitive dissonant arguments that go nowhere. You know, arguments that are not based on any science, they're totally fallacious arguments. And then you get then you get into the whole scientism, which is basically the satanic side of the way that science is being interpreted for the masses. And and none of that data fits when it when you really do the analysis on it. And the sad thing about it is that those doctors and those professionals that are in that in that field defend to the death what they think they know, even though even though even though when they know they're wrong, they'll still defend their death. And the reason for it is because their whole life and their whole job structure and their whole economy of their own worth is based on selling supplements or medical bullshit, right? Right. So, you know, it's, 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 a, difficult, it's a difficult path. You see that in chiropractors. You see that in acupuncturists. You see that all across the spectrum. And... Um, you know, basically, I have not been taking any supplements since I started doing, you know, my my anal oral analysis with these sheets every day, <laughs> um, because I wanted to get my body to a place that was um, being. I wanted to discover what my body would do if it got the right food volumes intakes to it, right. so I could. Doing all of the supplements, I was taking NMN, I was taking all different stuff back then. And I haven't done it much at all since then. And uh, there would have been once a couple of days where I took some, you know, megadose of vitamin C, you know, five, 10 grams, um, simply because I was fuzzy from the night before or something like that, um, you know, just start to clear stuff out. But there's been the exception rather than the rule as it used to be. Um, I still take magnesium. Um, I find that I do need magnesium, but nothing like I used to. At night and, or afternoon or no, something? No, when I do the high altitude hikes, um, it gives me that extra boost of energy, and I know that I'm not going to go into any cramps. Right? Because okay. yeah. that can be that can be treacherous up there. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, so... You know, I do do the magnesium. I don't get night cramps well, once in a while, but not not normally. And um, so, yeah, talking about the high altitude hiking, that's really created a different character in me. If you knew, Rusty, if you knew me like five years ago, I wouldn't be so happy and so content in my own skin as I am now. And, you know, that high altitude hiking developed a new stamina in me the musings that I had 
you know, in these wide open spaces in the middle of the Pacific, thousands of miles from anywhere, right? And yeah. the prayers that I put out back then, you know, every time I go up there, um, it developed a new personality in me and it allowed me to really think about my life and where I wanted to take and what I wanted to see for, happen for the planet. And I, and I worked a lot with the magma just below us in those situations and connecting that into the sun and also asking different people who are on the fringe to be activated to really see and get some clarity. So the fringe people that were hearing about the germ theory or were concerned about this, that, and the other, to just give them that extra clarity that they could move beyond it. And, um, and out of that, I'm writing a book called High Attitude Hiking in the Hawaiian Manas. And in it, I've got a lot of what we've been discussing the, the personal development tips that, uh, that you can use um, with the electrical stim and the light and the sunlight and the air and the oxygen, it goes on and on and on. But I put together uh, like the musings that I was having combined with the stuff that I was learning to deal with those arctic conditions up there. I mean, I've had hypothermia up there, um, you know, when I stayed overnight in the cabin one, one New Year's Eve, it was like, unbelievably cold <laughs> unbelievably cold and the wind was blowing like 40 miles an hour and you're up at them that cabin's up at 13,125 feet you know it's like <laughs> but the sunset holy moses it was amazing <laughs> but i was dressed yeah. in parkas and the hoodies and everything else and, and receiving bags wrapped around me and I'm like oh my god and still it was really cold you know you just have a little piece of your face looking out right and uh yeah it was you know yeah. so developed a, uh, a self-reliance um and a self you know because you don't have any choice like once i fell fortunately i caught myself just before my face plowed into these nasty, jagged lava rocks that were up on that section of the trail. But the skin on my hand got scaffed right off through the glove. And so there's blood everywhere. And I got up slowly and went like, Ben, you don't have a choice. You have to get up, even if your legs are broken. Why do you don't know what's happening yet, right? You, you, you've just fallen. You have to get up. And you have to walk that eight miles back down to the car. You don't have a choice. And, that, and then, then I got up and it was like stuffed toilet paper into my glove and, and blood dripping down my pants and they stuck to my legs. And, you know, it was like it was it was that sort of character building stuff. I guess you would get in the military training, you know, um, sure. or somebody that's out in the woods all their life and knows how to deal with it. But there are times when you when you are pushed to your limits. And I'm very grateful for how those sacred mountains here and the energy of those mountains has really taught me more and given me more confidence, more purpose, a long time to really think away from everybody else, a time to really define who I want to be through the next 30, 40 years of my life, well beyond the centurion is my goal. And, um, you know, and to get to develop those skill sets that we see in the blue zone people, you know, get develop those skill sets and those eating habits and those exercise habits that those people have that regularly live beyond 100. And yeah. 
you know, if it's not about workouts, it's more just about exercise. You know, it's not about high intensity workouts. It's more just like keeping the body going, keeping those electrical signals that are automatically produced in, say, the bone, um, keeping those electrical signals happening in the body, which is what is the juice that comes out of the ether that fuels us into this living in this 3D flesh body. So high altitude hiking the monas. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's some very special people that I met up there too. Some little like-minded, you know? And um, one of them was uh, a guy that had just come back from two years in Antarctica. And he'd been living uh, five miles from the, uh, from the ice wall, based five miles from the ice wall. He saw into the inner world that... Um, that uh, that uh, Admiral Baird talked about to Congress in the 30s and again in the 40s when he flew into the inner world through the portal into the South Pole. And so how, um, how is he talking about that? Like, because yeah, I mean, like that ice wall and all that. And uh, so you find this guy up on top of the mountain is where this guy is hanging out now. He's just. Up on that's, I guess, where you find someone who's seen on the other side of the ice wall. And so, what what <laughs> what was he seeing? It's a long story. Um, uh, I'll give you one scene out of it. Actually, there's several scenes, but I don't. I'm I'm going to be talking about these on the podcast and a little bit about the book. What I've had to do, Rusty, is make sure that I honor his anonymity, right? Okay. So even though I videotaped him talking about it, I can't obviously show that videotape. I've transcribed it. And this is basically my short version of the transcript. He was in charge of a 29 of a special ops, psyops um, soldiers who were guarding and responsible for the safety of the um, scientists down there. And um, as I said, he was down there for two years. He was based there. Young kid, 25, right? He was the head guy of this 29. And it was every operation that he went into, he was the last off the helicopter. I mean, the first off the helicopter and the last back into the helicopter. He was that kind of a guy. He lost nobody was killed during his during his um whatever you call it during the yeah. time when he who's in charge of them. Super fit, right? These guys are super fucking fit. And um and that's helped me a lot, um, being around him. And um we've become good friends actually. Uh he had a very severe uh, um intestinal problem that I I, I talked to him about it and I said, okay, you're not going to like this, but do it anyway. And he trusted me. And together we drank down basically sodium chloride and um, activated with hydrochloric acid. And um, it kills the pathogens in the bodies just like that. Within five minutes, he said, oh, my brain fog's going away. And within two days, the gut problems he was He'd had diarrhea for eight months, and um, the di- his stool was fu- uh, um, getting more solid. Within like a week, he was basically back. 
but that's another story. We don't want to get into that deep on this because they will shut you down. They will just take this video down in your podcast. But sodium chloride is the is the substance. But which I investigated because that's the kind of guy I am. And I looked at stuff and 20 years ago and I started working with him. Um, it can knock out malaria in, in a couple of shots um, completely. I mean, the shots are like so cheap. It's like, uh, I don't know, it's not even a five cents a shot. And um, so, you know, there are these systems and medical stuff out there that are hiding in plain sight that because of the cognitive dissonance, we have, you know, <laughs> with a, you know, what are you, are yeah. you taking chlorine? You gotta be crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um like and I it, probably can't know. put this on YouTube. <laughs> well, this, I think it'd be a podcast. Okay. You can on this because we haven't actually mentioned the the the, the trade name of it. Okay. Um there, there's been a few things where it's been like, I don't know if I should, because uh I'm all I've been sitting at two and a half strikes and they they've just been They've been they've been waiting, so this might be just a rumble uh, and, and listening exclusive. I might keep this one off of YouTube. Right, right. But, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, yep. it's Make it's sense. it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that that's a thing I have to worry about. I can't just we can't we can't say stuff. We can't talk about stuff, and that's that's trouble enough. Right, right, right. So. And um, so, yeah, back to the high altitude hiking in the book. So that book is basically the journey that I've been taking over the decades and the science that I've been learning over the decades, the research I've been doing and the proof in the pudding with thousands of clients. Um, and then later on, developing new protocols with the um, electrical healing stuff, which the Russians hadn't um, tapped into yet. And um, so I'm really, you know, so basically what I did was like, I I need a podcast myself and to get on podcasts and start communicating this stuff and getting new new people involved for the launch of the book, which I, I'm planning on mid-2024. mid, mid, mid And okay. um, so it gives me a lot of time to do, you know, PR work before and, and marketing, so to speak, work before before the book actually comes out. And um, and also to meet people like you and 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 chill and uh, you know share information and 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 yeah. share that with with uh, with others. You know, it's so important what we're 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 all doing here. And um, yeah. you know, I take my hat off to you, Rusty. I know that putting these podcasts ain't a simple thing. You know, it's you said, oh, do you do you have a headshot? Um, oh my God, I forgot to send it to you, brother. Um, but I know how frustrating it can be to try and get that whole thing, you know, your intro and your outro and your little pieces in between. It's it's, it's a lot of work, and um, I and I'm in that sort of learning phase myself now. Yeah. Once you get it dialed in uh, a little bit, like I I don't edit, and so that helps me out a lot. Everything is on the fly, and when I'm done. I I have a, a prompt that I go and I take your information, I add it to that prompt, and then I let the computer do its magic, and then everything sort of happens, and I have everything done like in an hour. 
probably afterwards. Oh, as wow. opposed to any other way, I'd have 50 episodes waiting to get edited and have to do a bunch of other stuff. So it's, I keep it as streamlined as I can. Uh, otherwise, oh, I'd never awesome. would do anything with it. So yeah, hats off to anyone who can do it a different way. Um, yeah, but um, maybe, yeah, go ahead. Maybe I'll tap into you after the show and if I have any problems. I can um, ask yeah. you what, what would be the best way sure. to move forward with it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that intro and that outro is super important, right? Right, yeah, and yeah, it's the best I can do. The best I can do without having to you know, spend time and put that on and you, you just do it. You, you do it, you figure something out that works and you keep on trying to make it better. Um, right. But right. yeah, and I, I have a buddy um, or a couple of buddies that are in Portland and uh, guy Dr. Ian and uh, DJ Horsey Horse and they they work <laughs> on on some stuff together um, with uh, what are those places called? So there are these places that are they have one in Las Vegas and it's, there's one in albuquerque and there's one somewhere else um where it's like it looks like it's a grocery store but it's not really a store it's like a whole sensory kind of a thing and i'm blanking on the name of the place but mm. um that doesn't really help but what they're doing is so uh dr ian he goes and he brings he uh imports japanese um vehicles and sells them there in Portland and um and then DJ Horsey Horse, he's into a lot of audio manipulation of stuff and video manipulation. So they're able to make this like screen inside of the van and make it into like a um fully immersible kind of experience. And they were looking at getting into some sort of you know biofeedback and uh, adding that with, you know, sound and stuff. And so I, I was see if I could have him like, like give him your help, be able to watch this and see if yeah. he has some, you know, be able yeah, to. I hope that would be helpful. Yeah. I hope it would be helpful for him because yeah, I, I actually, I had the, I had the Dreamweaver set up in, in a touring van for years back in the day. Yeah, and so yeah, I think it would be interesting. Yeah, if there's some sort of things they can get some, you know, get some gears turning and you know, right, you know, more right. stuff happening. So, um, yeah, hey, thank you so much for being on, Benedict. I appreciate it. Uh, glad have having you on. And if you want to come back in a few months, um, that'd be yeah, let's do it. Yeah, like yeah, get that other you know, more of the story. So. Um, yeah we'll go go back there and um so where can people find you let's let's just keep it simple oh, um my my personal website benedicthoward.com so it's b e n e d i c k h o w a r d.com and up there i have my podcast and I'm, I'm using that as my main base i've decided that i don't really want to be on social media that much i'd rather keep it on my keep the, everything 
under my control. You know, like like with you know, like with YouTube. You know, they can give me they give me strikes, but they gave me a strike for the um for the stuff that we were talking about earlier. And um, I realized afterwards that I shouldn't have put that up in the title, right? Yeah. And um, and when I've used NACL02, they haven't strict. They haven't given me a strike, so they haven't <laughs> at that time anyway. They hadn't okay. um, recognized the, the relationship between the two. But there's a huge group. I mean, huge group on Telegram that details how to use that stuff. I mean, it's a monstrous group. They've got like unbelievable stuff that's happening um, for people. I mean, it's just endless um, in terms of the cures that that, 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 that happened from that. I mean, heavy metal detox, uh, the, uh, yeah, the vaccine detox, um, all of that stuff is, is available through that substance. It's quite remarkable. And um, and very cheap. It was. It's very difficult now to get hold of it. Um, the suppliers have all been shut down. Some of the people have been thrown in jail. Blah 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 blah. Get it now while uh, while you can. Yeah, I can't. I can't say the name on the, the Telegram name. It. Yeah, I don't know how they would search that. Um. Oh, contact me on Telegram. There we go. Or through my okay. website. Right? Yeah, that's All the way. Right. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for being on and uh, hope you get a nice uh, rest of your day and do whatever uh, you want to do today. Who knows? <laughs> I'm going to go bake some bread. That sounds great. All right. <laughs> Enjoy some baked bread then. <laughs> All right. Okay, brother. Thanks. Been a yeah. pleasure. Yeah, let's yeah, connect like, again in a, in a few months and really looking forward to it. And um, likewise. Yeah, I take my hat off to you for, for putting this together. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. So that's uh, that's Benedict Howard. So go to his website, benedicthoward.com, where you can find anything you need. Uh, I can't put this up on YouTube, kind of is bullshit. So, yeah. It just it's like there's a few words and it's just like fuck I can't put this up on YouTube like yeah, at least I own my fucking Rumble now so I don't give a shit so I'll put my Rumble up news and rumbling Rumble in the jungle and that is the show man you know that is the show man boom. Uh, it's rusty diamond motherfucker It's Rusty Diamond Motherfucker.